Good morning. We are excited to be doing the Operation Christmas Child as a church. The school is also participating with us. We, we ran out of shoeboxes really fast last week. We would encourage you, grab a shoebox on your way out. There's little um, pamphlets that tell you what you can be buying, who you're shopping for. And I just want to encourage the families to make this a, a family thing that you can be doing together. Um, maybe you can't do a whole shoebox, or maybe um, you don't want to do a whole shoebox. We've also, in the bulletin, put an insert that tells you what we're collecting this week. And at the end of the collection, we're going to have a packing party, and all the people who just donated individual items, we'll all get together on a Sunday night, and we'll be doing that, and we'll do that together. Um, we are excited to be doing this. I don't, I don't remember what our goal was. It's like a, I, I added a couple hundred to it. We want a lot of shoeboxes, and we are capable and blessed that we can, we can give many of these shoeboxes. And like the video said, I'd encourage you to, uh, for the kids especially, to, to do something personal, to really think about, maybe write a card or maybe give a picture, uh, but make it personal. This, there is going to be a little boy or a little girl who actually gets this box and opens it up. Um, so I want to encourage you to, to talk to someone in the lobby about that. Grab a box. Um, and we'd love to answer any questions you have for us. Let's pray, and then we'll open up God's Word. Father, we're thankful for this morning, and we're thankful that we have been blessed tremendously that we get to give back to a cause like this. And we pray now that every box that we put together, um, that you would be preparing the child that would be receiving this box. They'd receive the box, and they'd see these gifts that were them and that they would consider the gift that you've given them in Christ. And so we pray, God, that as they open their boxes, they would have open hearts to hear and to listen to the message of your son. And so we pray for this this campaign, for this um, act of generosity that, that our church is doing, and we pray that you would bless it, Father. I pray for our kids, our children, that as they see us focusing and emphasizing generosity, I pray that you would teach them that lesson, that Christmas is about giving and generosity and what you've given us. And so, God, now we turn to your word as we open up Ephesians. God, we pray that you would speak to us. We come into the room this morning with burdens, with stressors, with things on our hearts, things on our mind. Maybe life is just just fine. But God, we pray that you would meet us in this place, that your spirit would convict us, your spirit would encourage us, that your spirit would help us. God, we want to hear from you. No matter what we're facing, we want to hear from you. And so God, we pray that your word would be used by the spirit to impact our lives this morning. We pray it in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're continuing our journey through Ephesians. This morning we're going to be in chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. I'll start by reading these verses, and then we'll dive into the text. Ephesians three fourteen. Paul is concluding kind of the the first section of the book of Ephesians. Two 
um, sections in the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, then four through six. Paul is wrapping up everything he's just said, and he is praying for the people. And he prays this prayer. It says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. A powerful prayer that Paul closes with. I'm going to get excited this morning. This is a, it's powerful. And it's actually, if you remember some of the, the previous sermons, Paul's already prayed for this church. You remember in chapter one, the end of chapter one, he prayed that they would understand their hope and their worth and the power that's available in Christ, in them. And we sang the song. We closed that service with the resurrecting power song where the same power that resurrected Jesus Christ is inside of you right now. And so he, he finds it so important that he's going to pray it again. And so let's work through this prayer. Verse, the first three words, for this reason. Paul is saying, he, he knows that he is transitioning in this book. He knows that, that, that something different is about to happen in chapter 4. And so what he is saying is, for this reason, for everything that I've said up to this point... For the reason that you are blessed spiritually with every spiritual blessing in Christ, that you are all of these words, that you have everything you could ask for spiritually, but yet physically, remember last week, he's suffering. Paul's in jail. And so even though we have all the spiritual blessings, he's saying physically we're, we struggle. Like the situation is not exactly like you would want it to be. And so he's basically saying, even though you have all the spiritual blessings in Christ, even though God has done this wonderful work in your life, spiritually you were dead, but God did something about it. And we have all these blessings. Physically we suffer. And Paul is saying, for this reason, the fact that physically things aren't going well, I'm going to pray for you. And it's interesting, his prayer even though the physical situation is the situation that's not right, his prayer isn't for the physical situation, right? For this reason, I'm suffering, I'm in jail, but I'm not gonna pray that I get out of jail. That's not my prayer for you. It's not my prayer for me. My prayer is for your spiritual place, where you are spiritually, and he's gonna unpack that. How is he praying? Look at those next couple words. I bow my knees. Paul is doing the only thing he can do. He's in a desperate situation. He wants to be there. He can't be there. He's doing the only thing he can do. He is falling 
on the ground. And if you study this idea of bowing through the, through the scripture, okay, bowing has all sorts of meanings. Bowing carries this connotation of worship. Psalm 95, 6, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are his people. Bowing carries this idea of Paul saying, God, we worship you. Like, look at what you've done for us spiritually. And so I bow down on my knees in, in gratitude for who you are and for what you've done. But bowing also carries this idea of desperation. I don't know if you've ever been so desperate that you've fallen on your face to pray. Like, bowing down is not like my normal posture for prayer. But when life is falling apart, what do we do? We get down on our knees because we're desperate. Bowing down shows this humility, this, this understanding that we've got nothing to do. Like we, we, we fall down, God, and we need your help. And this is what Paul is doing. He's saying, because of this, because I'm suffering, I'm falling down and I'm worshiping you and I'm praying and asking God that you would help. <clears throat> Who's he praying to? Look at that next phrase. Before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory. Just because you're bowing down and you're asking for something doesn't, doesn't mean anything. Your posture doesn't necessitate results. Like who you're talking to, who you're asking something for makes all the difference. Like you can bow down in humility and worship and be praying to a brick wall asking to move it or to give me something. Like who you pray to actually matters. And Paul says, I am praying to the Father. Okay, this idea of Father. Widely used name for God in the scripture. One of the most widely used. When we think of fathers, what do we think of? We think of care. We think of compassion. We think of, maybe you think of protection or security. Some of us have been let down by our fathers. And so this picture of God being father is not that helpful. This last couple of days, Truman, my son, and I went camping with my father. And then my grandfather. So my granddad is Truman Watson, the, the, who we named our son Truman after. I think I have a picture. And it was cold, very cold, like freezing cold. Like, why are we out here cold? Like, what are we doing? Like, so cold, you have to get in your sleeping bag. Like, you can't, like, your face can't be outside of your sleeping bag. It was freezing. And my son Truman loved every second of it. Like he could not get enough. He wanted a hatchet. He wanted fire. He wanted to throw, he could just run around and he loved it. My dad does what he always does and has always done. He took care of things. Saturday morning it or Friday morning, we woke up and it was freezing cold, like frozen and my dad is out there making pancakes on this old stove because he wants his, his grandson to have pancakes. He set the tin up. 
He was constantly looking after Truman, asking him if he could walk him to the restroom. My dad was taking care of things, just like he's always done. It's a picture of our Heavenly Father, except it's so much better. Our Heavenly Father is so much better. What else do we know about our Father? It says in verse 15, every family in heaven on earth is named from our Father. This picture of naming is a picture of power and control and sovereignty. We are under him because we've been named by him. Not only that, but in verse 17, it describes him as being one that is rich in glory. Go to the next. We'll go back a slide. There in the red, it's rich in glory. Our father is rich in glory. Now, glory is a word we use all the time. We sing the word glory, but literally we have no idea what glory means. Like if I asked you to define glory, you would be like, I really don't know what glory means. Like I can't describe it to you. It's not concrete. And as I was thinking about glory, a couple of things came to my mind. First of all, our father emanates glory. Our father emanates glory. Great things radiate or emit glory. Because of their greatness, they sit and glory comes out of them because they are so great. Worthless things emanate nothing. Your water bottle doesn't emanate anything. It sits there. Our father, because of his greatness, radiates glory. It's kind of like the sun. Okay, we feel the sun. We love the sunshine. Like we feel the effects of the sun. Even when it's foggy or it's cold or it's rainy, the sun is still providing for us. We still feel the effects of the sun. And I like when, like we're walking into winter, okay? It's it's coming. And, And it gets into dead of winter. We start longing for the warmth of the sun. And then early April hits. And we're going to get, it's going to be cold. And we're going to be wanting so much for the sun. And then there's going to be a day in April that the sun's going to come out and it's going to be 80 degrees. And we're going to be sitting outside and we are going to be so happy to have the sun. And we're going to see the sun melt the snow. And we're going to look at the sun and just be amazed at the power of these, of the heat that the sun gives. Even though the sun is 93 million miles away, there's power in the sun. The the rays of the sun are the glory of the sun. Our father emanates his glory by what he gives and who he is. And we can't even fathom his glory. Just like we can't fathom the sun, 93 million miles. We have no concept of the power of the sun. We watch it melt snow, and we're like, that's cool. Like we, It feels good. Yet we have no concept of the power of the sun, and that's how God is with his glory. We can only get a taste for his glory. And the text says, we are praying to the Father who is rich in glory. What is he praying for? Okay, so he says, he just basically sets up his prayer. I'm praying because of this, We're praying to the Father who beams out glory. And let me tell you, here's what I'm praying for. Paul's going to just pray his prayer. 
says, and let's go to the next, the next slide, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I got stuck on this, phrase, on this little part of the passage. I love this. Paul is, this is the transition from chapter three to chapters four through six. Up to this point in Ephesians, how many commands have we had? How many commands has Paul given the church? Anyone, what do you think? One. One verses 11, Paul has give, gives his first command. What is that command? Remember. Okay, that's a weak command. Like if I were to get my kids on a Saturday morning, kids, come on. We're going to go through our chores this morning. For our chores this morning, I've got one thing that I'm going to tell you to do. I need you to remember and reflect on our family history. They would laugh at me. They say, this is the best day ever. That's the best chore ever. All I have to do is remember. But this is the point of Christianity, right? That it doesn't start with the commands. The story of the gospel doesn't start with do this and do this and do this. The story of the gospel starts with this. Before you do anything in chapter 4, before you think about being gentle and patient and kind, you have to understand this, that that's spiritually, you're dead, that God did something about it. And that because of this right here, we can get to chapter four that says, now walk in it, live in it. This is the gospel. And this is how Paul has set up the letter, which is there's no commands. There's no doing anything. Hold on to this. And out of this, your life will be changed. I'm not interested in someone who doesn't know Christ reading chapters four through six, right? I'm not interested in them being gentle or being humble or being patient or being kind or using good words. Like I'm interested in someone who doesn't know Christ getting this first. And so Paul is making this transition, So what does he pray? Verse 16, I'll read it again, that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Those last two phrases there, those two lines in green, he's praying kind of the same thing, but the second line, he takes it a step further. So he's repeating himself, but he's kind of elaborating a bit in the second line. He is saying, I want the power of God in you to strengthen you so that your heart will grow and be mature in Christ. He's praying that their heart would be defined by the power of Christ. Okay, so let me break it down a little bit. The heart, that first line, strengthen with the power through your inner being, is the same word as used, or the second. The word is repeated is the idea of heart. He's saying, I'm praying for your inside, your spiritual place, your spiritual heart. He's not just talking about your feelings. And we've talked about this before. The heart is so much more than your feelings. We think of heart and we think of, I love you. Like I care about you. No, the heart in the scriptures is your total self. Your heart is what you think. Your heart is what you feel. Your heart is what you do. And so he says, I'm praying that your heart would be strengthened, that Christ would dwell with you. Okay, now what's, maybe, 
maybe you think this, maybe you're not thinking this, but it's, what's interesting is that we already have the indwelling spirit the moment we do this. Through faith, the moment you put your faith in Christ, what happens? The spirit comes and lives with you and is a part of your life. So Paul is praying now that Christ would dwell with the people. And so there's some confusion on what's happening here. But if you study the word dwell, you see something kind of unique. Okay, the word dwell is a very strong use of the word. Okay, it is more than just casual living. I did a little study on this word and it means, it is a strong word that means to settle down. He's saying Christ is already a part of your life. The spirit is a part of your life. I'm praying for you now that Christ would take residence. Like Christ would control your life. It's not a word, it's not the word that's used for just someone to come and stay with you a while. The word is somebody is moving in and change is about to happen. Your mother-in-law is knocking on the door and she's bringing a hammer. Like the the house isn't the way it needs to be. Things are about to change. And we love our mother-in-laws. We do. I love my mother-in-law. She's probably going to listen to this. You're welcome, mother-in-law. But she's coming with a hammer. She's coming to settle down. She's bringing her bags and she is moving in. And Paul is saying, I pray now that you would let Christ come and live with you and make changes in you and work in your life. A couple quotes about this that I really liked from a commentator, Klein Snodgrass, says this, rather than a small Jesus tucked away somewhere in our souls, the text assumes the presence of one who gives shape and strength at the core of our being, who takes up residence and redefines us. Or C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, I love how he talks about it. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he is doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. He's building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Paul is praying that we would let Christ change how we live our life. He is remodeling the house. He is building something different. And and, and with the indwelt spirit, with this understanding inside of us, we can let Christ change how we walk and how we live. And he continues in verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love... Okay, this is the foundation for all the changes, for, for letting Christ dwell in you. We are rooted, we are grounded in love. Like the only way we're going to let Christ do anything to how we live our life is if we're rooted, deeply rooted and founded in Christ. I have here, it says, I would let my mother-in-law come in and do anything she wants to our house because I love my mother-in-law. That's good, right? You hear that, mom? 
It's because I love her that she can come in and I trust her and I care for her because we are rooted in the love of Christ who did this even though we were this. Because I'm rooted in that love. Because the foundation of my life is that love. I'm going to let him have his way with my life. That's the foundation. But what are the results? Verse 18. That you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ. Next slide. That surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What are the results? You will understand Christ's love. If you let Christ come and say, hey God, take my life. Remodel. Throw this out. I'm going to let you take my life and make it whatever you want it. You will understand a new area of God's love. The breadth, the height, the length, the depth. And it's interesting. What is Paul doing? He's saying you can't even measure it, but I'm asking you to. You can't fathom it. I'm asking you to try. When you let Christ take your life, you let him dwell there, you will understand a new aspect of God's love. And it says there in verse 19 that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You will be filled. A lot of people look at the pain are like, oh, it's so hard to let Christ deal with my anger problem or my addictions or my struggles or how I talk. And it's like, ah, I'm gonna, it's going to be hard and painful. And it's like, no, you will be filled with the glory that we just talked about. You will be filled with that rich glory that we just described our Father with is the same glory that fills our life. And so this is what Paul's praying. He's saying, I pray that you, being rooted in Christ's love for you, would let him come have his way with your life. Because you love him and because you get this, You are saying, come rule my life. Take my life. Change my life. And then we get to a powerhouse doxology. Wake up, everyone. Here we go. This verse, 320. I don't know why I got stuck on this verse. It is powerful. Paul, closing this prayer, says this now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Think about those words. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Our God is able. Our God does things. He's not passive. He is able to move and to do things. What, how would we describe this power? He's really talking about this word here, power. 
he's going to describe this word power, the power that's available to us. And I love how Paul does it. He just runs out of words. He first says abundantly. Abundantly. It's kind of the first idea. Here's the definition for abundantly. Okay, it's, more, it's not just a little bit more. The, de- the definition I found is super abundance in quantity and quality. Super abundance in quantity and quality. Not just more, but super more in quantity and quality. But he doesn't just stop there. What does he say? Far more abundantly. So super abundance, this idea of super abundance in quantity and quality and far more so than even that. But he doesn't stop there. He says far more super abundance in quantity and quality than all that we ask. And he doesn't stop there. Far more super abundance in quantity and quality than all that we ask and all that we think. Paul runs out of words. He's saying you can't comprehend the power of God that is in your life right now. But he's trying to describe it. And you can tell Paul is confident. He's confident in the power of God. Like when we're confident about something, we say, yeah, yeah, I could do that. What, how confident would we have to be to say, oh yeah, I'm far more super abundant in quantity and quality than what you ask or even what you think that I could do that? Like we don't talk like this. Even when we're confident, Paul is saying, I am so sure of what God's power can do. What does God's power do? Any, anything that we ask or we think. Okay, asking is this, this picture of prayer. He's saying, we have access to a powerful God. All we have to do is talk to him. Think. More superabundance and quantity and quality than everything we ask or think. He's saying, you can't even imagine what God's power can do in your life. So what does God's power do in our life? Like there's a whole lot of things that God's power can do in our life. Two things. There's no sin too deep. There's no dream too big. There's no sin too deep. There's no dream too big. He's saying, try him. Try God. Let's see what his power can do. There is no sin so deep in your life that Christ The power of Christ cannot free you from that. Alcohol, pornography, addiction, anger, pride, bitterness. I've seen people freed from sin that they have lived with for decades. Decades. Like they lean on this bitterness or they lean on pornography or they lean on anger or just hatred and they lean on it every single day for decades. And we believe sometimes that, well, it's just just my vice. That's just who I am. That's just my struggle. And we we buy this lie that we're stuck in our sin. And and we read Ephesians 3.20, far more super abundantly, more than we ask or think is the power of Christ in you. There is no sin 
too deep. There's not. Or no dream too big. We believe in God's power. Like we read the New Testament and we read about the miracles and we believe in God's power. We believe in God's power to do stuff here. In in our world today, in our neighborhoods, we believe that God's power is big enough to do great things today. But what we don't believe is the power that can work through us to do those great things. Like, yeah, God, you could change the world. You could change this neighborhood. You know God's power can do that through you. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not a preacher. Like, I leave that to the professional. Like, when we start thinking of God's power within us to do these great things, we start to get a little hesitant. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, I take average people and do really great things. The, the Bible is a big book of average people. There's no super Christians. And what's encouraging to us is, hey, guess what? We're all average. That's not that encouraging. But there's no super gifted person. Like, we all are just okay. Like, we have, we're good at a few things. We're bad at a lot of things. Aren't we thankful that God's power is so much bigger than that? And he's saying, you can't even imagine what God's power can do through your life. Your life, God's power, can take and do something grand in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our country. And he's praying that they would pray big prayers. Stop asking for wimpy, small prayers and ask God to do something big through you. An illustration that I was thinking about is if we were having lunch with the CEO of Amazon. You know how much money he makes? A billion and a half a week. A week. And if we're having lunch with him and he leans over, Jeff says, hey, you know what, Matt? You can ask me for anything. You ask me, I'll give it to you. Whoa. And if I responded, hey, Jeff, you know what I really, really want? I would love a free membership to Prime this year. It would just be, you know, you bumped it up and it's now a little bit more like a free membership to Prime would just be wonderful. And Jeff would be like, what are you doing? Why wouldn't you ask for something bigger? And, and we worship and pray to a God who is super abundant in power and quantity and quality more than we can ask or think. And we ask him for sunshine. And we ask him that we would feel better. And we need to pray big prayers about his power through us. What does God want to do through us? I close with a story from Jesus in one of his healings in Mark 9. He says, someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that made him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams and he grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. They were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and he rolled about, foaming at the mouth. 
And Jesus asked the Father, and I think this is a good question to think about for us. How, not this question. How long has this been happening to him? And he said to him, from childhood, and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, listen to these words. If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, and this is our cry out today, I believe, help my unbelief. Help me to believe in a God that's power is far more than we can ask or think in super abundance of quantity and quality. Help me to believe that you are big enough and not just in the world through other people, but in my life. Romans 8, 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells in you. May we pray big prayers for God's power. May we, as we reflect on this and get ready for next week, may we say, I'm rooted in your love. I'm grounded in your love, God. Now take me, take my life. Take my life, change how I live. And may we let the spirit of God, who's so powerful, change our life, free us from our sin, and help us dream big dreams. Let's pray. Father, we want to better understand your love and your power. We want that. God, I pray that as we reflect on these first three chapters, maybe we do that this week, that we would, as we read these three chapters, be rooted and grounded in your love that you have shown us. And out of that, Father, we pray that we would let you remodel our life, rebuild our life, change our life. And God, like the doxology prayed, God, we pray that your power, super abundant power, would come and work, not in our neighbor's life, not in our spouse's life, but in our lives. And maybe someone in here is stuck, handcuffed, burdened by their sin. I pray that the power that you offer us in Christ, the resurrected Christ, would be so noticeable today that we would feel that, yeah, we're, we're stuck, but we're not, we don't have to be. So God, I pray for that person who's struggling with sin, that they would see the power in Christ to free us from sin. And God, I pray for these young people. I pray for these adults, God, that we would dream big. We would dream big. What do you want to do through us because of your power? And so, God, we pray that you would move and you'd work as we sing this last song. It's in your name we pray. Amen.